Hi there, and welcome to another edition of DC Comics News Podcast. My name is Kendra Hale. I'll be your host this evening. And we have a very special, magnanimous special guest with us tonight. Um, For those who don't know, he's worked on everything and built foundations of childhood comics for ages. He's touched on Green Lantern, Nightwing, Batman, even gone over into Marvel with Daredevil and Amazing Spider-Man Electra. The man, the legend, Scott McDaniel, is here with us tonight. Hi, Scott. Hi, Kendra. After a, after an introduction like that, I think it's probably best to say good night, folks, and <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare. <laughs> My goodness, I, I sure hope I can uh, live up to half of that buildup. Well, and it's absolutely true, and you'll get to hear that from each of us. I'm absolutely positive. Also with me tonight and my my crew for the evening, I have Mr. Steve J. Ray. Greetings, citizens. I have Seth Singleton. Hello, hello. The beautiful Miss Kelly Gaines. Hey, guys. Mr. Brad Filicky. Hello, everyone. And as a special treat, I also have my husband, Edward Hale. Hi, y'all. Scott, we are so excited and honored to have you with us here for this this lovely roundtable, just so that basically we can platform your work to the world. I mean, like I said in the beginning, you have created foundations that have touched anyone who is a fan, not only of the big guys with Marvel and DC, but also more recently with, with an independent, with Black Box Comics. So we are so excited to have you here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You know, that that's um, I think every every creator's dream is to have their work have some meaning uh, beyond themselves. You know, I, I got into comics because I, I just absolutely loved them. I, I love the action and adventure. I, I love the the larger than life quality to them. Um, the good versus evil. Uh, I, I just really, really love that. And um, it, it's it was so much fun doing the work. But it, it really, I think, is is really meaningful to know that uh, it, it's helped some, it's inspired some, and and some have enjoyed it. And, and so that that's really, really meaningful. So thank you for sharing that. No, definitely. And I mean, like you said, you, you really have. I mean, you have literally touched base with so many amazing, amazing characters over the years. And like I said, I'm just grateful that you're here. Um, to go ahead and start us off with questions, I know that the man in the myth and the legend who we have here for uh, DC Comics News has been biting at the chomp to get a chance just to talk with you. Steve, you want to start us out with the roundtable questions? Well, thanks for that. That's a huge one. <laughs> um, yeah, when uh, Ed and Kendra said they knew you, I went, what? And you haven't asked him on the show? Are you serious? Um, like I said, yeah, I've been following your work forever. And obviously I've pulled out all my uh, run of Nightwing and the uh, Batman stuff you did with Ed Brubaker and Brian Vaughan as well mm-hmm. to remind myself of your stuff. I've got all the individual issues. And obviously you've worked with Brian, you've worked with Ed, you've worked with Chuck Dixon. Mm-hmm. And obviously you've come back into the fold with the, the special edition of Detective Comics 1000 and with the Robin 80th anniversary as well. And I will say that I wasn't going to get the deluxe edition of Detective until I found out that Alan Grant was coming back and you were drawing the story. I bought the book specifically for that reason. So what was it like coming back to these characters? Um, Nightwing, you 
basically made your own and I still don't think there's another artist who can touch you in respect to Nightwing but was it nice to come back and is it me or did you try and emulate a little bit the late long missed um, Norm Brayfogle in the Anarchy story in Detective Comics 1000 Special Edition? Well, well, first, um, it was really, really special to, to get to work with Chuck. Um, there, there's a lot of history there, you know, with, with Chuck and, and on Nightwing. And he was kind of like my uh, my big brother on the book. I was still relatively new to the business uh, when I got the opportunity to do Nightwing. And, uh, and he really looked out for me. Uh, he's uh, got a very artistic... Uh, vision of his own and and when he writes it it really comes through and and he's wise enough to really try to write to the strengths of the artist with which he's working and he really did that for me he he just opened up the artwork he he let me really uh, experiment and just draw really big dynamic uh, crazy perspective kinds of dynamic things and and it was really helpful to me Um, and so uh, i really love working with chuck uh, he's, I think, you know, the master scribe when it comes to writing action adventure comics. I always kid him. I, I tell him there's, he, he puts more testosterone per page than any writer that I've ever worked with. Uh, and it's just <laughs> so much fun to, to draw a Chuck Dixon script. And uh, when I when I left Nightwing, uh, it was it was all good. I mean, it, there was um, it was uh, at the time I was transitioning over to Batman, and there's. A lot of history there, too, is a story in that. But um, I uh, really felt that I had given my all to Nightwing. Uh, and I didn't want to bore the readers by becoming stale. And, and not because it was coming from a place of complacency. Uh, but it just felt like I had given everything I had. And I had nothing fresh and new to give uh, to the character, to the readers. And so I felt that, you know, by issue 40, that was that was a good time to move on. And I, I've had a few opportunities to do a few things related to Nightwing uh, over the years. And I've turned them down because Chuck wasn't involved because I, I just I just couldn't imagine uh, doing, you know, any sort of meaningful Nightwing work without Chuck. And when this opportunity came up to, to do this, um, I, I just jumped on it. I thought it was uh, it, it would be so much fun. And as usual, you know, Chuck, Chuck brought the testosterone and, and he brought about a like a, a 15 page oh, story in, into like a, an eight page format. So it was really challenging, but it was a whole lot of fun. <laughs> and how about the Alan Grant story in Detective 1000? Oh, yeah, yeah. How did that come yeah, about? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was just an invitation uh, to do it. I'd never worked with Alan. I, I thought it would be it would be fun to do that. And um, uh, no, I, I, I wasn't um, challenge, uh, channeling any anyone in particular. I was just trying to to give it my own view uh, on the character and and try to respect you know what had happened uh, you know on the character before. Uh, but yeah, really, it was just uh, you know an opportunity to to work with uh, Alan because I I had never done so before. Oh wow, okay. So I thought you'd be part of the huge round tables. Well, well actually, let me correct that. I, well, I think maybe even my very first bat. Yeah, let, let, let me correct the record there. Um, <laughs> way, way back in the beginning when I was uh, I, I started with Marvel Comics and um, the assistant editor on Daredevil was a guy named Pat Garrahy. And in time, he actually went over to start working for 
DC Comics, and it was through um, DC that, uh, or through Pat, that I started uh, to get a little bit of work from DC editors. And I remember um, the day uh, Scott Peterson, the 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 head Batman family, you know, the group uh, editor gave me a call and yeah. said, how would you like to draw a Batman story? And I couldn't believe it. I mean, my jaw just hit the floor. And, uh, and so he sent me, he sent me the script and, and it was a Batman story, but it was about Bruce Wayne as a boy. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was written by Alan Grant. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a short story. It was uh, published in Batman Chronicles. Uh, I forget the issue number, but it was way, way back. Um, and, and so, uh, oddly enough, you know, um, my very first Batman story was a, was a short story, and my very last one, this most recent one, uh, with Anarchy, was both written by Alan Grant. So he kind of bookended uh, that, that season wow. of, of my career. I thought that was kind of cool. Fantastic. Because obviously you came in at the end of No Man's Land, didn't you? And were you involved in any of those massive round tables? Because then, of course, there were the other big crossovers that you must have been involved in. Um, obviously, um, yeah, war games and, and things like that, with the covers and everything else. Were you part of the big round table meetings to, to plan all that stuff? No, I, I wasn't. Um, I, I don't know if that was just because of my inexperience and my um, young tenure in the comic book industry. Uh, or if it was just at that time, it was really just writers who were going to those summits. As I understood it, it was mainly the writers that would go to those massive summits that they would map out all of those um, crossovers and the different threads that would go to the different books. Uh, and maybe the highest elite level guys, you know, uh, artists. Uh, but that wasn't me, certainly. You know, I was just very honored to be a part of it. And, and contribute as best I could to, to those stories. Well, as far as we're concerned, you were in the massive top elite. So that, that's just our opinion. Thanks so much, Scott. Uh, Kendra, who did you want to call on next? You feel like a little bit of a teacher here. Let's see. I mean, let's let's just move on down the line. Kelly, what, what would your question be for Scott? Hey, Scott. Um, Hi. <laughs> so I think my first question um, you know, as Kendra and Steve has mentioned, you've worked with so many iconic characters, both in DC and in Marvel. Um, from out of DC, is there a specific character or a specific storyline that you feel you were especially drawn to that really spoke to you in some way? Um, <clears throat> boy, that's really interesting because there's been so many. Um, but I, I would just say, I, I in hindsight, I'm just so thankful I was a part of Nightwing is I really do consider that that whole time was the absolute most fun I've ever had in comics. And it started with editorial. It was Scott Peterson. Uh, he was the, the lead editor and Darren Vincenzo was his, in his assistant. And uh, um, Jordan Gorfinkel was uh, he was in that office. I, I forget his exact role in that you know, who had what title and, and whatnot. But I was really working with uh, Scott Peterson and Darren Vincenzo uh, on Nightwing. And those guys were just so excited, man. They were really fans and they really sort of took me under their wing as well. You know, I, I got my start in comics working for Marvel. Um, when I was in college, I, I actually got a degree in uh, electrical engineering and that was my, my first career uh, right out of college. <laughs> And my uh, I, I met a guy there named Glenn Hurdling and he became my best friend in college. 
and he got a double major in English and psychology, and he lived in New Jersey, and he got a, a job working for Marvel in editorial, and his first work there was in custom comics, and um, there was a lot of opportunity to, to bring, you know, aspiring artists like me along, and so, you know, he would take my art in, you know, I, I would work as an engineer during day, and I would do drawings at night for fun, and I try to put together little packages, and, and Glenn would take them into Marvel and, and get them critiqued by other artists or other editors there, and and he would give me that feedback, and over time, I'd work on that stuff uh, that I learned from those folks, and over the course of a couple of years, I started getting little assignments here and there, and um, and uh, you know, they just like a, a couple-page story here, then an eight-page story there, and uh, then I got um, the opportunity to do some annuals for Spider-Man. Um, there was uh, the Hero Killer storyline. I, I did three of the Spider-Man uh, annuals that year. Uh, and then I got uh, offered uh, a, a chance to do Daredevil on a monthly basis, uh, following Lee Weeks, of all people. <laughs> and here I am, a guy, a just self-taught artist, you know, just aspiring guy. Um, and, uh, you know, following a guy like Lee Weeks, it's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, so <laughs> they gave me like a six month trial period. And you know, the editor was Ralph Macchio and the assistant was was Pat Garrahy, the, the same Pat Garrahy who then went over to D.C. later on. But uh, that, that was an interesting ride as well, because when I first started, I mean, everything was new. It, it was it was like a, a little kid getting on a roller coaster. It was both exhilarating and terrifying <laughs> because everything that I was asked to draw, I had to draw for the first time. Uh, you know, as an aspiring artist, you practice as much as you can, but you never draw as much as you do when you have to tell a story and you have to draw literally every element that, that enters into that story and has meaning. You, you have to figure out how to draw. And, and so, you know, that was a, a, quite a, a learning curve uh, at that point. Right. Um, and, and, and there, uh, you know, I was working on Daredevil and that's when uh, – you know, Frank Miller uh, was was coming back to the book and uh, you know, they were doing that uh, Daredevil Man Without Fear, you know, with uh, John Romita Jr. And and so all of a sudden, like the world's eyeballs went on to Daredevil. <laughs> and here I am, this this newbie guy, you know, just trying to figure out how to get the jobs done. Uh, and it, it was it was really terrifying uh, to, to just sort of be in the you know, treading water in the same pool as these giants of the industry. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so I, I survived that that experience, <laughs> you know, through the fall from grace and and everything and, and really just sort of helped refine, um, you know, my my vision and my interpretation and settle in on my my true natural art style. Um, and uh, it, after that point, I, I was uh, invited to do some some lecture work. And I, I did that uh, lecture Root of Evil miniseries, which was a lot of fun, you know, um, Electra came back in the Fall from Grace storyline, and so uh, Dan had another story to tell with her, and uh, that limited series format really gave us a chance to, again, be very, very experimental with things, and certainly with the art, I tried to be very experimental and try to learn and grow as much as possible. And then uh, after uh, that limited series, I was invited to do Green Goblin. And it wasn't the villain Green Goblin, but it was the, the Phil Urich character. So it was the young guy who happened across the villain's uh, unused goblin costume. And he was, he was to be this young kid trying to figure out how to use these new powers for good. 
And, and so we were getting into that and, you know, it was written by Tom DeFalco and, you know, really, again, trying to explore, um, you know, artistically and, and really just bring a lot of dynamics and contrast and energy to this character. Uh, when all of a sudden Marvel sort of changed their, um, their desire for the character and they wanted to, to take the Green Goblin back to a, um, <clears throat> a, a villain. And so they, they actually canceled the series uh, the Green Goblin that I was working on. But it just so happened that right at that time, Scott Peterson and Darren Vincenzo were looking for an artist to come on board and do the new Nightwing Monthly, uh, the the miniseries, um, the, the four-issue limited series of Nightwing had just uh, finished, uh, done by Greg Land, and, and it was really well-received, and there was a lot of demand for uh, the, the character to have his own title. And to be honest with you, I... I didn't know anything about Nightwing. I, I was so immersed with the Marvel characters and, and just wow. trying to learn how to do my job. I, I had no idea who he was and what he was all about. And that's when Scott Peterson you know, just sort of took me under his arm and, and just, you know, really helped me understand who this person was. And, um, you know, it was simple things like he would say, you know, he's the kind of guy, Dick Grayson is the kind of guy that, you know, all the guys want to be uh, buddies with and all the girls want to go out with. And he's a guy that if, you know, his shoe's untied, he doesn't sit down and bend down and tie a shoe. He throws his foot like up up on a wall, you know, higher than his head and he just ties his shoe. Down. <laughs> so, yeah, really. Right. I mean, and so those simple things really just help like all the little gears just clicked in my head that I really understood um, who he was in, in terms of his physicality and his demeanor and, you know, how he should look and move. And when we started uh, doing the, the stories, it, it just felt really natural. You know, my, my engineering background, uh, you know, I, I love science, I love math. And I think I, I was just drawn to perspective. And so I, I developed a system of curvilinear perspective that I would bring into the book and uh, really just sort of amplify that, the sense of dizzying kinetics uh, to the book. Uh, and so, um, you know, with, with Scott Peterson and Darren and, and Jordan really just bringing that, that really fun energy, that, that, whole, that whole team felt like a family. And I, I just really, really loved that entire time. Uh, the, the, I, at that point, I felt like I was getting in control of my own particular set of skills and I felt like my my art style had really resolved into its natural, unique, uh, distinctive vision so that the worlds that I was uh, representing and, and drawing, you know, were, were consistent. And I just, you know, just brought it, you know, <laughs> as much as I could. Um, and so that was really, really the, the best time uh, of my career, just for all those reasons. I mean, it was it was like the you know, God's, God's providential hand, you know, was just moving me along and preparing me, you know, for that particular uh, opportunity. And, you know, I really did grow and flourish in it. And I love those guys. They were, they're really good guys. Um, uh, good story character guys. Um, you know, I, I loved the, just the approach of it. Uh, there was, you know, you would have a good guy, you know, with noble intent, you'd have a bad guy with, you know, believable intent, and you just crash him headlong. You know, he, there, there wasn't a whole lot of, 
you know, deconstruction and, and um, nuance and certainly nothing um, that, that could be uh, divisive of a reader. I mean, it was just, you know, fun. And I, that's what I just remember uh, about that time. Everything was just fun. And so, um, so in a, like a, a 40 minute answer to your simple question. <laughs> no, that, that is an amazing answer. Yeah, and I never would think of that, that that's, a, you know, something like tying a shoe, but it gives so much, I guess, it, it tells you a lot about that character with how does a normal person tie their shoe? How does Nightwing tie it? That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It also I mean, explains the glutes, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm going to start tying my shoes. <laughs> right. That's the only explanation for the glutes, right? <laughs> It's well, just the way he ties his shoe. Come on. Anybody can be like that. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, my, my family was uh, very much excited about the opportunity for me to draw that. And, and they kept telling me, uh, be sure to make him sexy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> uh, well, he is the only character in comics where both his glutes have been named. So there you go. <laughs> How do they? Jimmy and Juan. <laughs> what are the names? Jimmy and Juan. Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, the I, girls at uh, Spoilers Prep School. Uh, sorry, what am I talking about? The girls at Spoilers Prep School obviously admired them, but the agents of Spiral, the female agents of Spiral, physically named them. So, oh, yep, there they are, Jimmy and Juan, looking fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is some trivia night knowledge, my God. <laughs> that's why they call me Geekopedia. <laughs> Wow, that is a title well earned, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, moving right along, uh, let's go ahead and we'll pass the mic over to Brad. Brad, what questions do you have for Scott? Uh, You've drawn so many different characters uh, over the years. Uh, What character was the most challenging and why? Ooh. Well... Oddly enough, I, I found Superman to be very challenging. Um, I I love bringing uh, heavy blacks into my artwork. Uh, early on, I discovered uh, a truism with my artwork that if and I, it's it's not grammatically correct, but but it's a good rule of thumb to live by, and and it's as follows: it's if it ain't bold, it ain't bad. And I found that when I was drawing artwork and it was just kind of lines and, and stuff, it just felt so brittle and and weak and stiff. But then when I found, you know, I understood how to, to bring black, you know, solid black areas into my artwork, everything just felt more massive and more strong. Um, it, it felt more solid. Um just everything about it just felt more dimensionally alive. And I also discovered that, you know, utilizing large areas of, of black in terms of shadows and, and forms also make really great uh, frames as you tell a story. You can really, you know, use them wisely to direct the eye to where it needs to go. So if you have a, a multi-panel page and you want it to really uh, move with a brisk pace. Say it's a, an action scene, a fight scene. <clears throat> Sometimes it can be really helpful to use large areas of black to, um, to 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 really just 
push the eye into, you know, where the black is not. And that's where the center of interest is. Uh, but when I was working on and, and well, uh, let me just finish and say that that, that just the shadows and, and, the, and, the, and the deep black shadows and, and bold things like that really works well with Nightwing and Batman. You know, they're creatures of the night. You know, he's often stepping in and out of shadows. And so it was a very natural component to, to those stories. Now, moving over to Superman, it was really difficult because, you know, Superman is a character of the daytime. You know, he, you know, Batman works at night. Superman works during the day and, and everything is lit at, you know, noon, you know, <laughs> and he works in a, a city that's, you know, full of glass buildings and uh, shiny things. And it was really difficult to try to bring the same sensibilities of, of framing and, and uh, eye directing, you know, without using shadows uh, nearly as much, uh, you know, and, and trying to render the forms and anatomy and figures and things that, that I really love to see with a lot of black, you know, in, in the form itself, you know, to, to back off of, of that, you know, I, I found to be kind of challenging. It just, it just felt a little unnatural to me. So, so that was a little weird. Uh, took some time to get used to that for sure. Uh, but otherwise challenging. Um, boy, you know, maybe this is an odd answer to that question, but I, I found that my art gets informed by the character that I'm working on. And for example, uh, when I was on Nightwing, I wanted to capture that sense of youth, it, not Robin-like youth. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but, you know, that the young young adult kind of youth and lots of energy. And so when I would draw Nightwing, I would tend to try to exaggerate the anatomy a bit so that the body lines felt not so rectilinear, but they had a little bit of arc to them, a little bit of curve to them. So the body line was was more of an arc than like a spear or an arrow. Uh, and it just, it, it felt more youthful, felt more dynamic, felt more flexible. And, and that uh, carried over into all the, you know, the character design and all the faces and, and everything. And so uh, everything had that kind of youthful energy to it. And leaving that book, I went into Batman. <clears throat> and with Batman, you know, that's a more, a far more mature, uh, um, character and storyline and i found that it it felt more natural to bring more angularity into the artwork um, more sharp edges and and jagged uh, things into the artwork uh, not be so bendy with the forms but but keep them uh straight and strong um, and then i you know would, would eventually get over to robin or would then i go to superman and and you know now we're dealing with bright things and you know, trying to to find you know where that where that fun level is with Superman, who for me is is like the hero of heroes. You know, he's like the epitome of heroes. Love Superman, uh, but it was just so oddly hard to draw. <laughs> uh, but then I move into to, to Robin, and you know, here's a younger character now. You know, he was a Tim Drake, uh, Robin, and uh, the villains. You know, with with uh, Bill Willingham. You know, they were some of the stories started to turn a bit supernatural. And so we had this, you know, ethereal kind of element 
creep in this sort of light horror. I'm not going to say horror, but uh, I'm struggling to find the right word, but maybe supernatural is the right one. <clears throat> you know, you had this now this new element that, that I hadn't encountered really before in, in comics and trying to bring that into a younger person's comic. You know, all of those things really informed my art. So every time you step into uh, a project, it brings its own challenges. You know, I'm, I'm not the same I don't approach them all the same because that's it, not wise, and, and I don't think that's helpful. You know, to draw to draw Robin the way I drew Batman. I mean, I, I think that would be foolish. And so, and maybe the, the the long-winded answer to your question would be that um, everyone bring every new project brings its unique set of challenges, and, and so the the challenge is really to identify what 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 the character of the content really is um you know how does it as a creator like how do i see it in my head and then try to uh, bring my you know my my vision of the world in, in conformity with how i think it that content really needs to be portrayed so so i'll answer your question that way which is it's a good question but a long cool. answer thank you no that was great thank you no, that was a, that was a great answer. I mean, it, you're just spouting off wisdom at us, so we're yeah. we're more than happy to sit yeah, back exactly. and listen. <laughs> right? We're, we're sponges today, Scott. <laughs> All very cool. <laughs> <laughs> that leads me to uh, Seth. Seth, what question do you have for Scott? Yeah, Scott. Um, one. You know, I'm echoing everyone by saying thank you for being on. Thank you for these great examples. Um, of your process and, and about these characters that you've taken. But I wanted to just sort of step back a little bit in history because when I was reading an interview, I came across this great story and it only alluded to a little bit, but the quote was lovely. And it mentions that when you were younger, you were a big fan of the Batman 66 television show. Is that correct? I was. <laughs> and as I understand it, you were such a fan that you made a – well, I want you to describe what type of plea or pitch it was, but you reached out and you made your play to be Robin and to, to be cast and that you had an argument to be made. And there was even a stipulation that you would take off your glasses for the action scenes. Am I capturing this scene correctly? Because I feel like there's a lot more detail to the story. I would love everyone else to hear it because I want to hear it. And uh, can you start us either from the beginning of the love, you know, for this uh this character and this show and then how it, it transpired into you saying, I'm, I'm, I'm that one. You, I'm the one. You need to pick. However you want to, you know, go through it, my friend, but really I love that story. And I think everyone else would love to hear it too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, kudos to you for <laughs> finding that one. <laughs> uh, I love the dig. And when I came across that, I was like, I struck gold. I, I almost feel like I need to shout Eureka. This is going to be awesome. Oh man. Spin, spin the tail, my friend. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it goes way back, <laughs> back when I was a wee little guy. Um, man, I, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Mego action figures, the little eight-inch action figures, oh, yeah. popular yeah. back oh, in the day. Oh, yeah. Man, they, oh, I had them all. Had them all. I would just I, – I would go – if I wasn't drawing comics, uh, I was out playing in the dirt with my mountain of, of uh, superheroes. 
uh, it just, you know, I love, I had them all, man. I had the DC ones, I had the Marvel ones, I had Planet of the Apes, I had Star Trek, I had them all. Um, yeah. I would, I would even make stop motion animation movies with them. I, I take my parents' uh, Super 8 camera and stick it up on a tripod and, and you know, have the little heroes battling it out. <laughs> it was, I mean, I was really into that stuff. Um, and um, like I, I said, uh, my mom, she would go to flea markets and buy uh, comic books by the bag full for like a quarter. And, and back in the day, you know, w- when there were uh, direct sales or, uh, you know, uh, you could go to stores and, and, and buy comic books there. They had uh, the companies had return policies that if the stores didn't sell them, they could ship the books back and, and be refunded for their money. And if and it turned out to be cheaper for them to to just receive the the actual uh, title from the cover. And so what stores were doing was they would take for comics that didn't sell, they would just cut like let's say it was a Batman book that didn't sell. They would take a knife and just cut the the word Batman off the top of the book, like the top three inches, or let's say, of the comic, all the way across. And they would just do that to all the books they didn't sell, send those things back to the publisher and, and get and get reimbursed. And then the books were just junk, and so they often ended up in flea markets. And those were the kind of books that my mom would buy for. You know, like a, a quarter for a, a brown paper bag full of them. And she'd bring them home and, and I would just consume them. And I'd read them over and over again. And uh, I would uh, find my favorite pictures in them. And I would do my best to, to copy them. You know, not trace them, but, but copy them. And, and that's how I learned to draw. It was by, by copying all that stuff. And, and I just really loved the... At, at that time, the simplicity of it. I mean, it was, they were just heroes versus bad guys. It was good versus evil. And you know, and you knew who was who, <laughs> you know, there, there weren't really a lot of gray areas and things. And, and I just loved that as a kid. And then when the, uh, uh, the TV show was on, I mean, these were, you know, now larger than life characters of, of the toys that I had and, and the books I was reading. And, and I just loved it. I, I thought they were really fun. You know, they were, they were campy and, and, you know, all those, you know, silly things, you know, when you look back at it now, but for a kid, those were really fun. And, um, I, I, I was just so into it and, and I thought, boy, you know, that Robin guy, I don't know. There's just something about him, but I can make a better Robin. Than him. He's kind of a, I don't know. It's not, he's not a jerk, but you know, I, I think I'd be more likable. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I, um, I found out like what, uh, what station was playing the show. Right? let's say it was channel four or something. So I wrote, I wrote a letter, you know, in pencil on, you know, stupid <laughs> paper yeah, <laughs> to, That's awesome. to, to channel four and, and making my plea to be, uh, to be Robin, to be cast, thinking that channel four had anything to do with it <laughs> <laughs> and it's saying that, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I could do all that stuff and uh, I'd be a really great Robin. And, and, uh, and like you said, I would take my glasses off for, for the action scenes. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. I sent off the letter and, you know, I just I, I never got a response. And, and I, I like to think I was just like just just missed the opportunity to, to take over Bert, uh, Bert Ward's job. 
so instead, I, I guess I had to settle for vicariously drawing his adventures <laughs> on, on paper instead of doing it on camera. <laughs> Still, I mean, you, you took the swing. Not everybody, you know, gets up to the plate like that. Did you send a picture to? Was it just the note? Were there, you know... Uh, were there any other additional details when you were selling it? Like I do, I do, you know, somersaults like nobody's business and I can cartwheel like, you know, like backwards, forward, you know, you know, is there any sort of additional like skills that you've got that you haven't seen Burt Ward uh, screen? Where, or? where were you when I wrote the letter? I think if I had that <laughs> advice, I might've gotten the job. <laughs> no, I forgot. I didn't do that. Ugh. Well, I remember like a lot of people were selling on, you know, when they, they cast uh, the, the newest version of Spider-Man and the young man was like, yeah, how my Spider-Man he does a backflip. And I'm like, that kid could be pretty good. Like, you know, you, you sort of get like the, the whole salesman approach, like, you know, how do you sell it? And I was just sort of amazed when I read this story about you. I was like, wow, how do you sell Robin? Like, how do you sell you as Robin? Like me as Robin, man, it would have been it would have been tough. Um, well, in my defense, <laughs> in my defense, I was a kid. And I was convinced, and, and I, I don't think I had to make a hard sell because I think it was just patently obvious by whomever would read the letter that that I could do the job. So, uh, yeah. That's the part that I love the most, and I think, you know, is that you're like, I don't even know why this is a conversation, let alone a question. I mean, I wrote to you. This should be happening. <laughs> Scott, thank you, man. That That's a really great story. And when I came across it, I was like, okay, I want to hear this whole thing. I want to hear from the man himself and the details you included, they, they make it really complete. So I just wanted to, you know, thank you, man. That was a really fun story for me. I loved hearing oh, it. Cool. <laughs> Kendra, I'm passing it back. I bet you that whoever got that letter at channel four still like probably to this day thinks back about this little boy who wrote them about becoming Robin and why they should be Robin. <laughs> Wow, you know, I I'd never thought of that. Huh. Probably made their day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also want them to kind of discover this now, years later, and be like, that was me. I right? remember that. <laughs> I, I fully want to get that comment on this podcast when it goes live. And it needs that person from Channel 4 being like, it was me. I got that. I word. remember that letter. <laughs> it could happen. Hey, it could happen. I want to see it happen. This is a good story. This We got a story here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, now, uh, now we'll go ahead and I'll pass the mic over to Ed and let him go ahead and, and give his question. Hi, Scott. <laughs> um, I'm not going to gush. I, I want to, but Kendra's giving me a look. So, <laughs> um, Actually, my question for you would be is, if there was a character that you could have worked on and didn't, who would it have been and why? <clears throat> yeah, there, there's a few, I think. Um, one uh, would be the Hulk, because I just think it would be so much fun. And... Uh, just the muscularity, the physicality, the mayhem that, that he could bring, I, I think with a good story, that would just be a whole lot of fun. Um, Wolverine, when I was an aspiring artist, when I was still in college, uh, the Claremont Byrne <clears throat> X-Men run was was dominating uh, the landscape. And I was just really loving the stories and the art. Uh, just incredible. And uh, I, I really loved Wolverine at that time, you know, because at, at that time, and that's like the mid 80s, 
And um, at that time, there was still a lot of mystery with Wolverine. And, you know, he was a, he was the kind of guy that was just feral to his enemies, but he was absolutely loyal to his friends. And, and I found that to be really kind of honorable in a in a character. And I always felt like his physicality would be a lot of fun to draw. A little violent for my taste, but uh, still a lot of fun. Um, the Flash, I thought, might be kind of fun, just given the, the kinetics that, that could be achieved there. He appeared as a guest in this, uh, Superman when I was uh, on that book. And I tried to do some experimenting with overlays and things to, to try to uh, represent his speed pretty well. Uh, so that was kind of fun. And I thought that it might be fun to do a short run on Flash just for that reason. Um, Captain America, just, you know, because of, of who he is, um, you know, I, I, I think the story is pretty creative. And, and I just like the character. I, I think he, he looks cool. And um, when he's used right, you know, he's a really great character. Um, and, and that really extends. I found that to be true about just about every character I've worked on. I'd have to really give it some thought to say every character I worked on, but almost every character, you know, that, that comes to mind, every character that comes to mind, you know, I, I find to be interesting in their own way. Uh, they, they each have their own unique um, uh, set of um, dramatic conflicts that come into play. They have their own unique goals uh, their own unique, obviously, physicalities and powers and, and all those things, too. And so I, I think handled rightly, every character is is really interesting. Um, and so, yeah, they, those were just a few, I think, of, of the ones that uh, I, I've thought of in the past that uh, I, I would love to do. I would love to do even more Spider-Man, um, just because when I first did Spider-Man, it was so early in my career, you know, I was... It was, like I said, terrifying and exhilarating, and I was learning how to draw everything for the first time and, and really just figuring myself out. Uh, and I, I think if I were to get an opportunity to do a Spider-Man now, it would be pretty cool. Um, and, uh, I'd buy any of these, just saying. <laughs> any and oh, all yeah. of these, I'd buy all of them. I don't care. <laughs> just take my money. <laughs> Well, I would I would try to earn it. I wouldn't just try to take it. <laughs> All right, now now I'm gonna gush. Um, you earned that a long time ago. I've been following your career since it began. So if your name's on the book, I'm buying it. That's all there is to it. Thanks, man. Definitely. Okay. You're very well. <laughs> He's in good company too. Let's see here. Um, I mean. It kind of comes back to me now for my question, and mine, I think, would have to be, because everybody else has had such great questions, that mine's going to go back to um, an article that I read um, back when you were working on Static Shock. Oh, okay. And one of the things that kind of caught my eye about it was there was a whole to-do after Static Shock got canceled, and there was a debate versus whether it was based on the story and sticking to the story and being true to who Static Shock and his origins were versus kind of doing whatever would make the book sell. So my question for that to you would be, where do you sit on that when it comes to, to any any character, any any platform? Is it 
more based on the story? Is that what's important? Or is it the shock and awe? Oh, it's absolutely story and character. Without story and character, you've got nothing. <clears throat> it's it's all smoke and mirrors. And, and you know, if, if you really have a nothing character and a nothing story, this that the smoke clears pr- um, pretty quickly, and it's it's it becomes patently obvious that there's nothing there. And and so for me, um, I, I really actually consider myself to be a storyteller first before an artist. Uh, and I, I want to be uh, really engaged with an excellent story with a with an excellent and interesting character. This is a lot of work to put together a comic. I, I know it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know people really love doing it. And there are a lot of aspiring artists out there who would really chomp at the bit to to do anything, really just sort of to break in and, and to start working. And and yeah, I mean, and you should do that because, you know, often that's what it takes. But really, there's so much blood, sweat and tears poured into the work that, you know, once you've gone through it a few times and you've really invested of yourself to that degree uh, enough times, you begin to raise the bar and say, look, you know, it's it's not worth it for something that's that that's stupid or not thought through or just plain boring or there's really no point to it it's it's too much work i mean you really you spend a lot of time just you and your own imagination trying to figure out how to bring this particular story to life with as much energy and emotion and power as possible and whether that power is, say, a, a battle, and so it's a lot of, of energy and kinetics, or if it's a character power, a dramatic power, where there's, whether it's either joy or sadness, you know, it, it's triumph or tragedy. You know, you really need to bring these things as fully to life as you possibly can. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to get too, too deep into the static shock thing because I, I just think it got a little unnecessarily ugly. Um, right. The new 52 was, boy, you know, they started 52 books out of the gate, like a NASCAR race. And I, I, I can, I can understand the, the desire to do that in principle. You know, you're a publisher, you want to make yourself relevant to a whole new generation of readers and so let's do something bold. Let's revamp the entire line and let's relaunch it. And everyone's going to love it and they're going to buy everything and it'll all be great. But, you, you know, what, what seemed to happen was like the uh, it wasn't so much the NASCAR, but it was more like the uh, what is it like the bike races or something where, you know, they're all at the starting line and they all go. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's like three or four crashes that happen and like, like half the bikes go down. <laughs> um, it was just really, yeah, it, it just really descended into chaos, I, I thought. And and certainly I, I think with Static Shock, I, I think a lot of it with that particular title had to do with the company. I don't think the company really knew what they wanted from that character. You know, back when um, 
Dwayne McDuffie had uh, created it and launched it, you know, there were a lot of uh, aspects of race and um, like gangs and, and drugs and street life. And it was uh, Virgil Hawking's you know, trying to aspire above all those things. And, you know, that, that, that kind of defined that book, you know, when it was initially published. But, but DC had no clear vision of what it should be for the new thing. And so, you know, they, they asked the writer, you know, to, to, you know, pitch them ideas and, and, and then they asked me to, to inject as much, um, kinetic, uh, energy and dynamics, you know, into the story. And it, it really became a whole muddied, uh, mess in terms of who that character was and what the story was supposed to be. And, and so, uh, I, I think really, I mean, that, that was really the issue with, with the company. They, they didn't know what they wanted with that character and it played out in the book, they, that, that lack of, uh, of sort of defining vision and competing understandings, uh, because of it. And, and it's, that's tragic, you know, because the character is interesting. And I, I think, you know, now more than ever, you know, there, there's some real um, uh, meaningful content that, you know, that book in particular can carry naturally uh, for, uh, for, for, for good, I, I think. But because they didn't want to touch that, they being the, the company, they, they didn't want to go there. Um, it, it just, you know, it's a don't go there, but you know, <laughs> they didn't tell you where to go. <laughs> just don't go there. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, it was just tragic. Yeah. No, but I agree with you. I, I fully agree. I hope, I hope that one day, you know, if, if somebody at DC is listening, I hope that one day we, we get to see static shock come back because you're right. He was an amazing character. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, those stories were really interesting. You know, they were really unique. They were very interesting. And, um, you know, John Rosam was involved with, I think, the original run of it and, you know, with uh, the, sec- the New 52 run. And, you know, John's a talented guy, creative guy. And it just, it was just too shackling and it was just too confused um, from the company's perspective to, to really get us off and running. But, that, but you know, that happens. And, um, and I think you, you saw the manifestations of that even over time, right? <clears throat> Getting back to that, that motorcycle race analogy, you know, when the bikes leave the starting gate, boom, they, they crash, half the field drops down. But then as wow. the race goes on, you know, you still see more crashes, you know, a couple of bikes crash and they, they you know, take three more into the hay bales. Um, and, and you sort of saw that too, so that, you know, over time, you know, it seemed like every few months or maybe every six months or so, a couple of books would quietly go away to be, be replaced by a couple more to, to keep the volume at 52 books every month. Uh, so I mean, it was a noble idea, I think, a bold idea. But boy, it was just perilous in its um, in its execution and uh, how it was received in the market was was really tough. Yeah. Goodness. All right. Well, let's see here. So that, that was my question. And I thank you for not only your insights, but for also answering it. And uh, that'll lead us right back to Mr. Steve J. Ray. Hello again. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's it's amazing that we talk about this every week on the show, how we all have a hive mind and all, all my colleagues and friends here are asking questions that uh, I wanted to ask you. And lots of fans who knew that we were going to be speaking to you tonight wanted to ask you as well. So a shout out to my friends Colin Gunn and Jim Bennett over at Earth9DC, a UK website, who wanted to ask you these questions as well. And our very own Tony Farina, who writes for DC Comics News, had a great question, and I wanted to ask that, because obviously you co-wrote Static Shock, you're writing your own um, independent uh, creator-owned titles now as well. But obviously most people might not know that and just remember you as the artist, but... Obviously, creating your own characters and having your own comics must be quite liberating. But obviously, it's a different kind of pressure. But when you come in and write and, and draw Daredevil, Static Shock, Batman, uh, Nightwing, how much leeway do you actually have as an artist on the characters you don't create? Were there things you wanted to add or change? Was there like a look, a gadget or a costume that you really, really had an idea on you working with the writer that didn't make the comic? What what did you miss out with that you would have loved to have put into one of your non-creator-owned books? <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I would probably have to think on that one for a while to, to remember more than the thing that just came to my mind. And that was uh, when I was working on Superman. I love Superman, but I feel like he, he had gotten to a point where uh, it's, it's really tough to challenge a guy who's so powerful and so strong. You know, h- how, do you, how do you really challenge that? And I remember pitching an idea to editor Eddie Braganza at the time. Uh, it was, it was uh, an unusual idea, and, and he, he, he didn't like it. Uh, and so it, it really went nowhere and, and maybe for good reason, but I'll share it with you. <laughs> you can tell me. <laughs> and I felt like, you know how um, he has his fortress of solitude, you know, it's up in the Arctic. And, and so it, it's very isolated. Nobody could get there. And it's got the giant key that, you know, to get in and all that. I thought, wouldn't it be interesting uh, that there, there are other places on earth that people can't go that he can. And I'm thinking like the deepest of the oceans, and um, what, what, what's a character trait of the deepest oceans? Well, sunlight doesn't get there. You know, sunlight stops, you know, at a, at a pretty modest yeah. depth, actually. And so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if he had actually established a, a fortress of solitude in the deepest of, of the oceans, say the bottom of the Marianas Trench? And he would go there, not so much to be alone, but to remember what it's like to be vulnerable because at that depth um, and without being exposed to the sunlight that gives him his strength over time his strength would begin to wane and at some point those pressures would begin to to really bear in on him and soon would would get to a point that could actually threaten uh, his very life and he would stay there as absolutely long as he possibly could to stay in contact with that feeling of uh, impending death and the fear that that could bring so that he doesn't get too far removed from those from the people that he loves and the people that he tries to protect. And I pitched that to Eddie and he didn't he didn't like it. <laughs> he said, well, we've never done anything like that before. And he just sort of just moved along to the next thing 
And uh, and I thought it was kind of cool. That's yeah. a great story. I would have. That was a wasted that. opportunity. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Right. Thanks, man. <laughs> no, seriously, that is beyond cool. Because part of the era of Superman that I loved was the Superman Blue, Superman Red period, where as Clark Kent, he was human. He could be hurt and he could be killed, and he had to power up and become Superman. I thought that was a really great take, but obviously a lot of fans threw their toys out of their uh, prams and, and didn't like it. But it was fascinating. So no, that was very cool. Um, that almost again by magic leads to the question i wanted to ask you so obviously with marvel spider-man daredevil um with dc mainly nightwing batman they're the more grounded earth-based heroes and, and some would say darker and grittier but i would say more realistic because they weren't cosmically powered and aliens and threats and, and things like that obviously you did do a lot of that with dc as well in in the weekly trinity book mm-hmm. but um even recently with, with Green Arrow for DC, are those the characters you more identify with uh, and understand and get? Or was it literally just a natural progression because that's the stuff you, you draw so well? Was it about the, the more grounded characters that, that that draws you to them? Oh, that's very perceptive of you. Um, yeah, I, I just feel way more connected to the non-powered, Earth-based people. And, and I guess maybe it's just because that, that's my that's my own reality. I mean, that's what I understand the most. Uh, one I I used to say I, I used to love Batman and uh, and Nightwing because of the bricks, bullets, and bats. You know, <laughs> it just it felt like home, and and I understood those spaces, yeah. and I I really just I got them. I felt them. I smelled them. I heard them when I was drawing, and when I would draw. Uh, science fiction-y type characters and, and stories, I felt just like a fish out of water. I'm like, I don't know what this feels like. I don't know what it sounds like. I don't know what it smells like. I don't know these places. I don't know these people. And I just felt like I, I couldn't bring uh, my own vision to it for just those reasons. You know, when I, when I get a story, uh, and, and even a familiar one, let's, let's say a Batman one, and it has all the, the different characters and maybe some supporting characters I've never drawn before or I have to design some new characters, some, some new supporting characters and uh, design a new location uh, or a location I've never drawn before. I, I really can't. Um, I, I feel like I can only get halfway there in my own mind until I work out those designs or I pull that reference and see it so that I can mentally like walk through that space and understand that space or design that space and then get to know it. And then my, my mind can just sort of freely fly around those spaces and, uh, and just explore and, and find the, the best visual uh, angles and, and trajectories uh, with which to, you know, put the characters into those scenes and, and, and to shoot them, you know, uh, with your mind's eye, your, your mental camera. And with the with the space stuff, yeah, it, it just felt really just di- divorced from my own experience. So I, I just it was it's really hard for me to overcome that. Now, I've, I've had to do that because the work I'm doing right now actually is uh, a science fiction uh, space based story. I, I love it. I, I think it's really fantastic, and I, and I can't wait for it to be published. Uh, I'm working on issue eight. Right now, it's a 
double-sized extravaganza. It's a pulse-pounding conclusion to this epic uh, storyline. It, it's really cool, but it, it has really challenged me on, on a number of different levels. And and I think it's uh, I think it's my best work so far uh, for a number of different reasons. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, <clears throat> and so, but I've had to really come face to face with a lot of these things that I felt really challenging and, and I've had to learn some new skills. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been quite a ride. It, it, this is the hardest I've ever worked on a project, I think in, in my entire career. And, and that's saying something cause I've, I've worked really hard <laughs> on, on these, uh, the projects that I've had up to, up till now. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I, that that has been def- the the defining character of my work. I really really bonded with the, the street based characters, but you know I, I find now that I'm really um, getting quite comfortable now with uh, the science fiction environments and the the look and feel of those types of stories too. So uh, I'll, I'll end the answer there. Another question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, another question gets knocked out of the park. Thanks, Scott. Great mm-hmm. stuff. Kelly, your next question, Han. <laughs> Actually, it kind of ties in a little bit to Ray's last, or Steve's last question. Um, what would you say, because you worked with so many different superheroes, and obviously, you know, some of them have a more alien background, some of them are an ordinary person with superpowers, what to you define? finds a superhero is there are there qualities that in your head when it you know are kind of the boxes that you tick and this is a hero yeah i i think um hmm. that's a that's a good question i i don't have a shopping list but i do have a general principle uh you know obviously the super part is uh something more than just human and it doesn't have to be powered like a superman you know, I, I still see Batman and Nightwing as superheroes because of their extraordinary abilities, whether it's their mental acumen or their physical ability. Um, they have greater than the average, certainly, but, you know, elite human level ability. You know, so so that sort of checks off the, the super side. You know. <laughs> you know, something about them, you know, whether it's in their head or it's in their their physicality that is just you know, first rate, top notch human stuff. And then with the, the hero part, like for me, I, again, I, I'm, I'm a simple guy. I mean, I, I like good versus evil stuff. And, and so for me, a hero is a guy that would lay down his life for his friends. Uh, it's a guy that would live by an honorable life's code uh, that would seek good. It would seek justice for people that would look out for the vulnerable person. Uh, in, in a self-sacrificing way. Um, and so, you know, when you think of those characters, you know, we, we find that in, say, the first responders in the pandemic. We see that in the first responders of the 9-11 tragedy. You know, those people that raced into danger, and lethal danger, for the sake of others. Um, and that That is heroic. And, and so... Um, that's what I, I like to see in my superheroes. You know, I, I, I'm not one. I, I don't really, 
I, I don't resonate all that well with the the anti-hero or uh, the, the the sort of living in the gray areas where you got a a bad guy who does good things and then you got the good guys who do bad things and you know they they just sort of uh, duke it out in the gray area. You know I I think that's probably really true to life, but you know when I when I really what I love most about the comic books is um, it's the escapism, the adventure. You get uh, to expose somebody to an adventure they would never, ever have in their own life. And and so where are you going to take them? Are you going to take them to a place that looks just like what's outside their window? Or are you going to take them to a place that you know really honors things that are good and really battles against things that are bad? And sometimes, you know, good doesn't win over bad. You know, that, that's the thing, right? It, it's not always guaranteed that good is going to win. Bad often slaughters good. But good always stands up and fights for honor, for love, for family, for friends, to self-sacrifice. Uh, and, and those are things I really love. And, and I think I, I really miss in modern comics. Uh, but... They, they, it was there a plenty in the comics I read as a kid, and so um, that's what I like. I try to work towards those things, and I, and I love it when you know I'm on a project that sort of aligns with that uh, sensibility. Yeah. Wow. That's that is a very inspiring answer. Honestly, thank you. Cool. You're welcome. Yeah. That was a, it was an absolutely brilliant answer. Scott, you've been, you've been giving us all kinds of just, yes, we can play off of each other, but you have been so thorough in your answers. I thank you for that. Oh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. <laughs> you know, usually I spend time here. I, I have my uh, studio mate here with me. It's uh, Sonny, the action puppy. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> usually he does most of the talking when it's just him and me. Puppy. So it's, it's nice to get a chance to talk. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a little shih tzu yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the brain right. that leads us back to Brad yes Scott thanks for those answers they've been great uh, now as an artist when you get a script do you prefer a script that is really detailed with what is in each panel and things like that and those kind of breakdowns are you more of a fan of the scripts that give you more of a leeway in how you present the story? Yeah, that's a really good question um, because there, there are pros and cons to both. When I first started at Marvel, they were definitely the plot script method where I would get a plot and I would, um, I would create the artwork based on just plot. And there may be some dialogue cues, just a, a, a few, like a, a phrase or two, like, you know, Daredevil would say this or Daredevil would be angry and say that or uh, something like this. You know, very few of those scattered throughout. But, um, yeah, it was it was mostly plot. Uh, the difficulty there is without knowing what the artist really wants to say, you often box each other in where, you know, when I'm reading a plot. I, I want to find the most dynamic moment that happens on a particular page and, 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 you know, feature that, you know, in, in the largest you know, footprint on the page and then use the other panels as supporting either leading into it and then, and then coming out of it. 
so that there's a really nice flow and there's a really nice dynamic, you know, on the page itself. <clears throat> and, but oftentimes it turned out, you know, the, the writer had the most things to say on the small panels and, and had like nothing to say on the large panels. And, and so it was it, the end result could be it could be, you know, kind of really awkward, you know, with text heavy, like sort of shoved in wherever it could fit. <laughs> um, but it was liberating for the art. But the overall effect, I, I think, suffered uh, if, if you got if, if the writer and artist weren't totally in harmony. Uh, on the other side, I mean, I love the full script meaning I get the full plot and all the dialogue that way I, I can really see where the writer is putting his emphasis. And when I design the artwork, I make plenty of allocation uh, for it in a natural way is to be honest with you many, many times I, I found that there is a perfect way to show a scene, but I can't do it that way because of the dialogue, uh, the way the order in which, the people are speaking, the amount of text that has to be communicated, the the best visual for the page, like all the panels on the page. I can't do it because of the dialogue. And I would rather sacrifice the visuals for the story. And so, you know, once the writer and editor and I look at it, you know, the writer and editor, they, they pretty much do the first cut things. And and, and I come on board as, as the penciler and uh, I, I can offer suggestions and things for tweaks and, and whatnot, but, you know, when I'm hired as a penciler, the writer and the editor do all the writing stuff. Uh, and so I really try to honor all that work because they've put a lot of effort and uh, weighed a lot of options and alternatives, and they've landed on this particular uh a draft of the script and I, and I want to do the best I can to, to bring it to life and honor everything that they've put on the page. Uh, and so, you know, so you have that, that side of it. Um, you know, so you, the, the plot script method is really good for the art, but it can be really awkward. The full script can be kind of limiting for the artwork, but it's best for the story and character. And so just over time, that, that's how I, I prefer to go is with the full script. So I see everything. I know exactly uh, how the characters should be emoting based on what they're saying and, uh, and how they're speaking to each other. And so everything really just lines up really, really well uh, that way. And if it means I, you know, I have to sacrifice um, the preferred method, uh, you know, the preferred design for the page for a secondary uh, level, that's OK, because it, it still looks pretty cool. Um, and, and no one would know the difference anyway. Um, the, the only person who knows is me, you know, th what it could have looked like. <laughs> and, and I can live with that because cool. it's story and character first in my mind. I love all the passionate answers we've been getting and moving forward for that. Um, Seth, you gave us such a great question the first time. It's your turn again. <laughs> Let's see if I can live up to it. And um, Scott, I'm, I'm looking at the time and I'm just trying to be aware of the fact that um, I mean, it's immensely valuable for us, everything you're answering. And so I'm going to see if I can't pull together two questions into one and and see how that works out. If I fail miserably, well, know that I was making the valiant attempt in this one. Um, you're a self-taught artist. And I was curious if there was a distinguishing either characteristic or set of characteristics 
that you recognize either in yourself or amongst yourself and other self-taught artists compared with those who took a different path? And then if in any way any of that answer translates to what I loved about your website, which is the fact that you teach drawing as well. Hmm. Well, <clears throat> yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, just for that reason that I'm, I'm self-taught and not trained, uh, I always, when, if I'm actually in the room with somebody, you can't see me because we're just doing this audio. Uh, I, I put artist in quotes, little air quotes. <laughs> no, I'm an artist. Now right. I see him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I, I often wonder, you know, has my lack of art training been a blessing or a curse? And, and maybe it's been a, a little bit of both. Um, and it, to be self-taught just means uh, you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And so, uh, yeah, I, I've learned how to stay afloat. But, you know, maybe my my uh, uh, doggy style uh, or breaststroke or, you know, whatever swimming stroke isn't perfect, but I could stay keep my head above water. And it certainly has generated into a very unique style. And so for that, I'm grateful. Uh, you know, when you when you have to figure things out for yourself, I, I think the lessons are are learned a little more deeply. Um, it's it's certainly a little more honest to who you are as a person. And so, yeah. But I I, I do uh, admire those guys that that have and girls that, that have training, you know, formal training, and, and they can do things that I, I just simply can't. Mm. Like those folks that really work brilliantly in color. Like the color still really challenges me. I, I, I actually did a book uh, in full color. It was uh, The Gospel of Jesus Christ that I published through Black Box Comics, uh, and I digitally painted that whole thing. Uh, mm. That was my first real experience with doing full color artwork. And but I did it digitally, and so there's a lot of room to salvage your work. You know, you can you can edit a lot if you use layers properly, and you know you can really tweak and and uh, sharpen and all that kind of stuff. But uh, like like people that that can paint, you've got hue, saturation, and value. You know, it's hmm. incredibly dimensional to paint live, and and, and I just admire those folks that uh, have master level skill with that kind of artwork uh, that you could see uh, they can reproduce and create artwork that looks very natural and uh, maybe not photorealistic to a sense, but, but incredibly natural. But on the other hand, <clears throat> what I love about comic book artwork is, is it's larger than life quality. <laughs> and that's where I think maybe it was just a blessing uh, that I'm self-taught because there are um, there are artists that work in the very photorealistic style and manner and it looks great but as a reader for me it, it just it doesn't it doesn't fill me with that sense of awe and wonder you know but when I see a person that really has an exaggerated style uh, it just it just feels like it, it, it has a life of its own. Like the figures just dance across the page. And <laughs> when you read this stuff, it, it just feels like everything is in motion and you could fall into it. And, <laughs> and, and, and so, um, yeah, I, I think, 
I'll, I'm grateful uh, to be self-taught and, and grateful that, you know, that, that I have the ability I've been given and, and sharpened it as much as I could. And, and uh, the cool thing about artwork is that it's a journey. You know, there's mm. you never get to a place where, you know, you, you're the final lesson is learned. And it's like, ah, I, I know it all now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. Yeah, right. Yeah. I've climbed this peak only to find there's another mountain that's six miles high right in front of me. <laughs> so that's the yeah. cool thing. I mean, if you're diligent and you're willing, you can always grow and you can always improve. Uh, so um, in that regard, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, being self-taught has been uh, a fun journey. Uh, it's been kind of frustrating at times, but I, I do think for this kind of work, it's actually been a real blessing. Well, clearly you've discovered the joy in the journey, and that's probably got to be the the part that everyone's looking for is how can I find this thing I want to do and make it into the thing that I love to do as I'm doing it. And I can hear that coming out. I mean, the way you were describing dancing across the page, you know, the emotion that someone employs when they exaggerate. Um, it, it was so evident in your description that I was just like, oh, yeah, he's there. He's found it. <laughs> yeah. I, again, you know, that, that's very perceptive because – there are people that I think want to do this kind of work or maybe even engaged in it, but they don't really enjoy it. They, they don't like losing themselves in, into the actual mechanics of creating and just losing all sense of time and uh, <laughs> uh, other senses and live in that space of where the characters are and, and hearing it and feeling it and uh, right along with them. Because you're right. I mean, the joy really does show up in the work. <laughs> uh, I, I've taken jobs that um, I were, was on the fence about and and um, probably should have said no, but I thought, well, you know, may, maybe I'll come to, to really love this experience. And I, I took, took the project and it just turned out to be a nightmare. And trying to to draw it and bring it to life, it was it was like pulling teeth every day. It was really just it's miserable. But mm. when you get to that place where you really you, you love the characters, you love the story, um, you're you feel like you're in command of, of your tools. You feel like you really understand how it needs to be done and you just go. You just swing for the fences. Man, that, that is so much fun. <laughs> I, I really just lose myself in it. You know, my wife will check up on me. She's like, do you eat anything today? It's like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I literally, I don't know. What uh, time is it? <laughs> seriously, yeah. Exactly right. And then if you wouldn't mind, is, is there any way that you're able to take that understanding and translate it, just to add to that second part of the question, then into the lessons that you're providing online? Which, you know, I, I love just one of the examples was that Nightwing cover with Superman. And you're saying, look, you know, you got to have Superman on there, but the star is Nightwing and you have to balance these things out. Um, I loved your description, but I wondered how much of what you were talking about kind of imparts into, you know, your teaching process with this idea of I'm coming to you from a self-taught mentality and these are the things, or I'm coming to you with the things I've learned as a self-taught artist. And this is what I want to impart to you. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that, that, that's uh, another really great observation and, and question. I, I really felt, and this will, I'm going to first tie it back to my friend, Glenn, uh, hurdling who I met in college went to Marvel and and you know was my introduction into Marvel and uh, the start of my career uh, I was just so grateful that I had an opportunity to get to, to have access to a prose wisdom 
Because mm-hmm. at that time, you know, this was late 80s. You know, I graduated college in 86, and I didn't start working in comics until the early 90s. And it, it took that length of time to really, you know, get myself from an aspiring level artist to a place where uh, an editor would trust me with a few pages of story for a comic. <clears throat> and uh, I was just so grateful for the insights. There, there were no schools for that. There were no, you know, very few places that you could find in terms of magazines and uh, interviews with, with other pros to, to get insights into that. And I really promised, when I saw the value of it, I promised myself that I would give away what I found to be so valuable. And that was the motivator to create all that content on the website. Because really, uh, for all of you aspiring artists out there, really constructive criticism is worth more than pure gold in your hands. Hmm. You take that criticism, you, you, you understand it first. Don't, don't become defensive. Don't try to argue against the comments that are coming. Just listen deeply to what's being said. And even, you know, if you need to say it back in your own words to be sure that you understand it right. And then, you know, when you do have the understanding of the constructive criticism, really just listen and think and yourself then critically review your own work and say, okay, does that constructive criticism have merit? If it does, my goodness, you've just now seen something that you can fix and become a better artist. There are a few instances when the criticism is not valid and you have to be able to say, okay, well, I think I can understand where it came from, but I think it's wrong for this reason and I'm going to set it aside for now. I'm not, I'm not going to act upon it. I'm not going to make a change upon it, but I'm just going to keep it in my back pocket in case it comes up again and there's something that I'm not you know, fully getting. But my goodness, you know, to to find out what you're doing wrong and why and a, and a suggestion to how to make it better. That, and that's what constructive criticism is. It's not like, oh, that's terrible. Go away. It's well, that's wrong because, you know, th- that muscle is really in the foreground. And so, you know, it's going to obscure the view of the thing behind it. And so if you make this arc this way, you know, then you've gotten your foreshortening correct. You know, and then when you have that right understanding, like, oh, ding, 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 you know, the light bulb goes on, the bells go <laughs> off, and, and you can apply that lesson through the whole landscape of your artwork. And so your whole game gets gets raised. And so, and so that was the genesis of, of all those lessons. I, I really just wanted to give people uh, a, a real insight into what it was to, to draw comics, because I, I just don't think people understand it. Um, for the, it's going to sound harsh, but it's not the grind that it is, you know, you really do have to apply yourself over long periods of time. You have to concentrate over long periods of time. You have to self-evaluate constantly, but you can't let your self-evaluation cripple yourself. It has to help yourself. You know, you have to critically understand your own artwork, find the things that are wrong that, that you can fix, uh, to the, the best uh, level that you can within the time that you have, and then you just move on from there, you know, and just keep a healthy rhythm and, and pace there. And so, so I created those, and it was character design, it's cover design, it's um, uh, 
uh, how to how to do uh, visual storytelling of an action sequence with the action axis and where your camera can be and where it cannot be. Uh, just so really, you know, people would get at least one exposure to every element of the job. Uh, and not just the, the technical stuff of drawing, but also, you know, how do you track your time to make sure you're being productive? Is you know, working at home, if you're not disciplined, you can find yourself spending you know weeks waiting for the muse to arrive to to you know sprinkle you know creative ideas upon your head <laughs> or you know you can force yourself to sit down and and swing through it until you get yourself into the creative zone and things start flowing and and you're you're productive because uh, I, I just felt like you know i was i was being asked the same questions over and over again because there really wasn't a whole you know, a lot of resources for aspiring artists at that time. But interestingly, because of the pandemic, I, I've been thinking a lot about that section of my website. Hmm. And I've been wondering if I should modernize it a bit, maybe add some video uh, of new content uh, to the to the lessons. So um, I don't know. I, I'm re really thinking about that. I'll just say right now, I'll watch that. I, I don't know how good I'll do anything about it. But yeah. I'll say Hell to yeah. anybody else, if you get a chance to check out this site, I mean, you know, Scott, you cover everything from employment to recommended books. Look, when you get to a point, these are professional tools of the trade you're going to need, scheduling, and then you get into the cover stuff. I mean, it, it's a really complete uh, resource. And I was just amazed at what brought it about. And I thought about what I'd read about you as being a self-taught artist. And I just tried to see where the bridge had occurred and, and what was being carried over. And you did an amazing job of breaking all that down for me, man. I know that was a pretty involved question. So I appreciate you the time just unpacking it for us today. Really. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. It was a really great question. Thanks. Oh, it's a great resource, man. It was great inspiration. <laughs> well, excellent. That, that's yeah. cool. I, I'm really glad to hear that because I, I, I really didn't, I, I want to honor people's time. You know, people work hard, you know, and certainly an aspiring artist. I remember what it was like. You know, I was working an engineering job. I had a, a baby at home and I'm trying to do comics at night. It's exhausting. And the last thing you want to do is uh, waste somebody's time. You know, so I was really hoping that that content was concise and actionable. And uh, sounds like, you know, from the feedback from you guys, that at least it's hitting close to those marks. So thanks, man. Oh, my pleasure. I, I can definitely say that. Um, and before I just start going further, Kendra, stop me, man. Give it to somebody else and just knock me off. I'm coming Dude, in. I'm coming in. I'm hitting the mute button. Okay. <laughs> just for now. Just for now. Just for now. <laughs> All right. And, and yes, we absolutely do appreciate your time. And let me go ahead here. We'll let Ed step in real quick with his question. Go ahead, Ed. All right. Mine, mine's a short question. Of all of your amazing work, what is your one piece or panel or page or book that stands out to you that is your favorite? Mm. Huh. <clears throat> oh, boy. Um, boy. Oh, boy. I, I struggle with favorite types of questions. Like, uh, my wife and son, I was like, what's your favorite flavor? What's your favorite color? It's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's pretty pathetic to say, but I really struggle with favorite things because I, I just, I find a lot of value in, in a lot of things. And I, I find that context is very important. Um, like, 
Oh, boy. Let's see. With Nightwing, I don't know if I would say one particular image because as fun as everything was, it, it never was truly as great as what I was hoping it would be like in my head. I mean, I'm trying to capture the things that are in my head and get them on paper and they never quite turn out quite right. So there's always this level of dissatisfaction, like, uh, what is it about this thing that I just, I wish I could do better, but I, I can't quite articulate what it is. You know, you give it your best shot and, and it looks really cool, but it's just not quite there. Um, so, uh, wait, I don't know. That's, I'm stumped on that one. Um, I, I, I just don't know if I have one favorite thing. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Maybe no. you haven't drawn it yet. It's still to come. Yes. There you go. Ah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's still to come. <laughs> I will be eagerly awaiting it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hit me up on Facebook and be like, hey, I did it. Check this out. I'll be like, all right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, to, to be honest with you, it, it's really a, uh, an, a unique experience. You know, I'll do artwork. Uh, and I, I really do. I, I mean, I, I, I really give every page, every little detail and every choice thought, and I, I really give it my best effort, and then I'll, I'll put the artwork away for a few days before I send it off you know, to the next step of the process. And I pull it out, and I look at it with fresh eyes, and, it, it, you know, my the, 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 the constant reaction is, ah. It's like, oh, it's just not like when I was doing it, I was like, wow, this is really good. I think I, I think I got it. I think I got it this time. And then I put it away, pull it back out like, oh, I just missed. Why? Why did I just miss? And so it's that constant tug, you know, that you really swing for the fence and then you just critique like, how can I make it better? And, and you know, next time, you know, what 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 else is needed here? You know, what did I miss? So, yeah, that, that's what pretty much dominates uh my experience with my own artwork. <laughs> I actually know that feeling very well. Yeah. But you can't let it cripple yourself, though. Remember, um, too many people I've seen, um, they, when they look at their own artwork, they, they see what they perceive to be the flaws, and it, it, it actually cripples themselves. They, they get to a place where they feel like they can't draw anymore because uh, of, the, of the fear of failure. And... Um, yeah, you, you can't you cannot take it to that level. You know, it's got to stay in that healthy critique place where it drives you to be better and not doesn't drive you to quit because that that's wholly unhealthy. But really good question. <laughs> I'm gonna hope that mine doesn't break you. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Is it another favorite question? <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly change the wording so it won't be favorite. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mine goes a little bit more on the personal side. Um, most people who've had the joy of meeting you have also had um, the absolute pleasure of meeting Mama McDaniel, Miss oh. Dolores. And I, I, I know I, for one, and, and Ed, too, we've gotten to see over the years just all of the amazing experiences that she's had with you at the cons. Mm. Um, is there one story that sticks out in your mind as your favorite of having your mom with you at con? Boy, one? I don't know. She's been my sidekick. I mean, 
she's been my Robin for I don't know how long. My goodness. <laughs> when the Pittsburgh Comic Con started, that was, oh boy, 20 years ago. This was back when it was in the uh, the Expo Mart in the, that's next to Monroeville Mall. And yeah, she was she was my wingman all that time. You know, she would uh, always in- encourage me and um, you know take care of me and you know bring me food and make me sit down. I love I love to draw standing up so people can see you know what it is I'm working on. And uh, I just love to stand because I find that when I talk, I I bring a lot of energy just you know talking with my hands and. Uh, emoting and I, and I like to connect with people and so if I'm standing you know we're actually just conversing what, what instead of me sitting and then they're standing and it that increases the distance and it they can't quite see what I'm doing and it just felt like I was too far removed uh, and so uh, I, I would do it that way and uh, she was always she would always go out and and talk to the folks that are in line to bring their books up and uh, yeah she she's I don't know. It's it's just really um, it was really great having her uh, be a part of that whole experience. You know, she was my introduction to comics. She was always very supportive of my artwork. She herself is a talented artist, uh, self-taught. Never did anything you know with it professionally, uh, but <clears throat> she uh, was herself a fan of of some comics like uh, Bernie Wright's and Swamp Thing. She was hugely you know, enamored with and. She was even a huge fan of, of uh, Todd McFarlane's Spawn comics, and she had all of that stuff. And she just really loved the art form, and she appreciated good art, and um, would uh, yeah, she just loved people and that that whole scene, the costumes, the craziness, uh, the color, you know, all of it. She she just really loved it. So that was our thing. You know, my wife um, is a musician, and uh, and and. You know, she she liked the comics, but she was more like a, a, a cat. You know, where where my mom, she likes comics and she she's like a dog. You know, she's she's all in it. You know, <laughs> you know my wife, you, you kind of keep it at Paul's length. You know, an afternoon at the con was enough for my wife. <laughs> and that's cool. You know, not everybody is is wired for that kind of thing. But it was really it, it was really great to have her uh, share all that and because. Um, you know, she's built a number of friendships. You know, yours is one of them. And frankly, that's why I'm with you here tonight is because you've been so kind and thoughtful to mom that uh, we've become friends. And uh, and uh, yeah, I really love you guys. And, and that's why I'm, I'm here with you right now. God, you're not supposed to make me cry when I'm the host. Like professional pants, professional Kate. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys clearly love comics, you know, and, you know, you love artwork and you love comics and, you know, you're just you're just so into it. And, and it's honest and it's sincere. And, and I really love that and respect that. And, uh, and so, yeah, yeah. this is the second podcast day in a row that I've been choked up. First, it's Harley Quinn. And now it's this. Whew. You're All welcome. <laughs> but uh and i mean to, to, to just kind of wrap things up because we we know that your time is valuable and like i said we really really do appreciate you coming on um did i miss anybody's questions does anybody have any more questions for scott yes please <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve. 
I, I just wanted to say um, thank you and touching back to what you talked about earlier, which because it really hit home with me. Your because um, I'm the same. I like my heroes to be heroes. Um, I don't get the love for characters like Lobo and um, the, the whole scenario with those. Obviously, your, your man of faith, it, it's well documented. So obviously, true heroes and the morality are important to you, as they are to many, many comics readers. So what I wanted to ask really was, um, when you look at this modern mythology, as many people describe comics, um, is that aspect of, I mean, Daredevil and Batman in particular, and obviously following that Nightwing, are heroes who some people say to their detriment will not take a life, whereas to me that's their greatest strength. Would you agree with that and their morality? And is that what drew you to comic books as well, that that good versus evil side of it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To me, a, a hero will not take a life. I mean, I, I know a number of these uh, modern heroes, and certainly in the film, you know, I think they, they felt like they needed to, to take the heroes to that level. And whether they uh, took took a person's life by direct action or uh, by setting up the action that led to a death or by obviously enacting uh, to cause a death. Uh, for me, I just think that's um, that destroys the character. Uh, you know, life is, is a precious thing. And. I think redemption is uh, a concept that is uh, too little explored in comics. You know, the good guy will go uh, wail upon the bad guy and throw him into in, into chains and throw him into the deepest jail. But the the better ones will. Uh, have have the character try to achieve uh, some level of um, redemption of, of the character to pull them out of what it is that's making them uh, as lost and as evil and as bad as as they have been uh, to set them on a path uh, that is better and brighter. And so, yeah, I, I, I do think that um, that is a line that you know, a hero shouldn't cross. And, and when they do, for me, it really does destroy the character. I've seen it with, uh, and I felt it, you know. And to be honest with you, I, I can't watch a lot of the modern superhero movies just for that reason. That, that um, in the interpretation for that particular audience, they change the, the, the character in fundamental ways. And it started uh, way back even with Conan. And it, it had nothing to do with taking a life, but... The fundamental change of the character, you know, what I loved about Conan, and you got to picture this. I mean, I'm, I'm a little kid, a teenager, you know. I've got my box of uh, hard pretzels and my frosty Coke, and I've got my latest Savage Sword of Conan magazine, and, uh, and I'm just losing myself in the adventure of, of Conan, you know, just going to war and and uh, doing all the things that Conan was doing, and uh, you know. In the book, he was a very accomplished fighter, and he was a leader, and uh, you know he would wrestle a bull when he was a boy, and and then the movie came out, and he's and he ends up like chained to this turning thing, and then they give him his freedom, and he's too scared to yeah. go, and they gotta kick him in his pants to get him to go pursue his freedom. I'm like, 
who is this? Is this not the Conan I know? <laughs> and and then it's just on and on it goes. You know, every movie it just seemed like it it just so seriously missed the mark. One of the most serious ones was uh, Cyclops of uh, the X Men. For me, I love the X Men. Uh, when I was uh, a, uh, a teenager and I was in college, uh, and I thought it was just you know it was written brilliantly, it was drawn uh, brilliantly. I loved the characters, and I really, really related to Cyclops. You know, I wore glasses. Cyclops wore glasses. Uh, he was in love with Jean Grey, and he was too shy to say anything. And I was in love with uh, a girl who turned out to be my wife later on. But I was really shy, and I didn't want to talk to her. And, man, I really just I, – I knew exactly how he felt. You know, I, I, just, I just bonded with that character. And then I saw the movie, and Cyclops, uh, Scott Summers, was this slick, plastic little pretty boy who was a jerk. And I'm like, what? What, what happened? Who, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, Wolverine was a short, stocky, crude, um, you know, feral little man who, you know, uh, once you got inside his circle of trust, was your absolute best friend. But, you know, if you were outside that circle of trust, he was your absolute worst enemy. And then you watch the movie and, you know, I love Hugh Jackman, but I mean, he's just so different uh, from the character that I saw, you know, in the books. It's just I, like the movies. I, I just I couldn't relate to them that all the characters and stories and just their personalities, they were just so different. Um, so I, I really, really uh, struggled with that. And, you know, on top of that, then some of these characters, you know, like Daredevil. You know, like Spider-Man, like um, uh, even Batman with the with the Razor Ghoul uh, on the train. You know, I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you either. Yeah, that always Whoa. bugs me. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what? Wait, wait. <laughs> what are you doing? And, and I get it, right? Uh, the, the the modern sensibility, you, you know, they they the modern reader or uh, story viewer has seen so many stories now that I, I think producers of this material feel like they have to really push the envelope to get eyeballs on their content to, to sell tickets or to, to whatever, you know, but uh, to me, uh, there, there's gotta be better ways. You know, there, there has to be more pure ways to, to really dig into character in meaningful ways that, that, that don't require you to, to cross that particular line. Nicely said. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a great question. All right, and I know um, I know Seth has a question for you, so Seth, I'll go ahead and let you go. Thank you, and I swear this is my last one. I swear, <laughs> I, I kid you not. Like I, I, I'm my highest honor. I, I was really moved, Scott, when I went to your website, and then I when I found some great stuff in interviews. But there's this great quote on here, and I'm only going to read the last part of it but if you can just do me a favor because i'm sure it's not the first time you've read it or that you've had different experiences each time you read it but as i'm reading it now whether it's a scene a memory uh, a character a panel there's this quote from ralph macchio and it it describes your work from moon knight to daredevil but then it hits this thing that i feel you know 
rises above any specific character for me and it talks about your style but i wondered if you ever feel like it's embodied in in anything that well that comes to mind and i'll just stop trying to preface it by just reading it and then let you respond to but he says you sense the artist striving to find new ways to tell a story scott's layouts have a fluidity and sense of movement that's jaw-dropping there's grittiness to his art as the story demanded yet there is also a dreamy quality that's so effectively intermixed. Few artists can pull off that elusive dichotomy. I don't know if anyone's ever going to say anything as nice about me like that, but I, when I read that, I was just like, what do you what do you picture when, when you hear that? Is there a memory that you have of working uh, or that you know of, of something he said similar to this about your work in the past or when you first read it? What comes to mind when you hear that? Because that's a beautiful compliment. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really, um, I really admire Ralph Macchio. He, uh, I think he was really patient with me in the very beginning. Uh, some of my early stuff was quite painful to look at, but I think you know, with with Pat Garrahy encouraging him to, to stay on board and and maybe he saw something of potential in what I was doing uh, to to keep me on board. But I think it really. Um, it really hit home for me because I, I didn't learn of those things until, you know, well after my work with him. Um, I think those things were written. And I think it really um, culminated uh, in the, the Fall from Grace story, you know, that was uh, Daredevil 319 through 325, Fall from Grace. It was the return of Elektra, and that's when we changed Daredevil's costume into the armored costume. And Dan uh, paired him up with. Uh, heroes that you know he would have no earthly reason being paired up against, you know, like Siege and uh, Morbius and <laughs> uh, what is some of that? Venom, you know these just juggernauts, you know, uh, and, and you know Daredevil in his red suit would just have really no chance of really surviving for any length of time in in that uh, context, and so you know we put him in the suit. And, you know, I was doing a lot of experimenting with style and, and trying to figure myself out and, and really just trying to bring this thing to life as, as much as possible. And the story ended, well, the, the, the whole story arc launched with the cover of 319, and that was that stark black and white cover of the Chrysler building with the little itty bitty red daredevil, you know, <laughs> falling off of it. <laughs> uh, and, and that was the first sort of iconic cover of, of a whole set of iconic covers for, for that uh, story. And the, the story ended with daredevil uh, victorious over all the villains and saving the day. And it was a glorious shot of him just swinging a, a, across New York, the skyline in New York. And so my first cut, uh, of that big final splash page of 325, excuse me, was um, you know Daredevil swinging past the uh, the twin towers. They were sadly they were they were standing at that time. Not not that not sadly that they were standing, but um, they're no longer there. But uh, they were at that time, and so that that was the feature. I had him swinging past the the twin towers, and it just bothered me. It's like ah, I just I don't like it. It doesn't feel right. I, I missed it. Um, you know, I, I sw- it was like a foul ball. You know, it was <laughs> it was like a you know in a baseball the the, the bottom of the ninth, two outs, a, a full count, 
And uh, I just I just hit one and it just sliced, you know, uh, into the crowd, third base, deep in the outfield. What? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe a home run, but it, it, I don't know. Could, maybe not. Maybe it was caught if it was fair, but it went foul. And I just it just really bothered me. And, and so I asked Ralph, I said, Ralph, can I, can I do it again? I, I just I don't like it. I got an idea for a better shot. And, and so I, I did it again. And it was uh, a far more dynamic shot of Daredevil. The figure was much larger. He, he was cutting diagonally across the page. The, the anatomy was, was much bolder and stronger and, and, and even more fluid. Uh, but I framed it instead of the Twin Towers, I used the Chrysler building. And so uh, it, it, you know, the, the very first image of the giant Chrysler building with him falling off the cover of 319, that was the first image. And then this mm-hmm. final image was him victorious, big against, you know, the, a nice upshot, you know, nice, nicely perspective view of the Chrysler building. And when he saw that, he, he was just like, I think he was really impressed uh, <laughs> nice. in, in really meaningful ways. Cause he wrote like a, a really nice uh, page about the whole process and, and project in the, in the back page of the collection of the fall from grace. And he said some very complimentary things to me, you know, about that whole process of, of me wanting to redo that page and, and how meaningful it was, you know, to, to really, it really uh, bookended that story beautifully. And, and, and you know, I got that one. <laughs> I got the sweet spot on that one, you know. <laughs> right. Like you can almost hear the announcer like, I think you got all of that one. I yeah, think, yeah, <laughs> right. you got all of that one. Yeah, it's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for uh, those of you, for those of you listening who are uh, Pittsburgh natives, I think I hit that one right into the river. Y'all know what that means. <laughs> My brother-in-law would appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Scott, thank you, Kendra. I'm handing it back over. I swear, I'm hitting my mute button. I'm walking away. Thank you, Scott. That was that was exactly that was more than I could hope for, but it was perfect. <laughs> All right. Um, and I know that Kelly didn't have any more. Brad, do you have another question? Well, I was kind of just curious. You mentioned math. Uh, it, is there any other um, takeaway from your experience in engineering that you brought to art? Oh, good question. Yeah. <clears throat> Ooh, nice one. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, really just and maybe it's more on the practical side, but I think it's the discipline in the tracking. Uh, when I was in engineering, I actually was working uh, on the engineering management side. Uh, we were a subcontractor. <clears throat> I say we, you know, not, not me. I worked for a subcontractor. The project was for spacecraft. We, we made inertial navigation units for, for satellites. And these are shoebox-sized devices that have two gyroscopes that are mounted perpendicular to each other so that they're, they can sense rotation about all three axes, you know, roll, pitch, and yaw. And you bolt those down to the spacecraft. And as the spacecraft tumbles and rotates, you know, the, the flywheel, as it spins, wants to stay uh, unmoved. And uh, if your flywheel inside a gyroscope is staying in its orientation and the actual frame is rotating, at some point, uh, you're going to crash into, you know, the in- interior surfaces of the gyroscope will crash into the flywheel. So you have to actually torque it with... Um, current flowing through uh, little coils to, to produce a magnetic torque on it. And it turns out that, that that current is proportional to the rotation of the spacecraft. And so um, 
you know, depending on how much current goes through, uh, it generates little pulses and, and you can count the pulses per second to get a rate, or you can just count the pulses to know how many arc seconds of degrees you're rotating about any degree or whatever. And so those, that's what we made. And, uh, we, they did it for deep spacecraft. Uh, they did it for the Voyager spacecraft that circled Venus and took radar images of it. And when I first started with that company, um, those um, packages actually came back to the company for final test before they were mounted into the spacecraft and launched. And so uh, I actually um, was able to handle those devices and test them. And I, I was given the opportunity to sign, like everybody who worked on that project could sign uh, like this little form with everyone's name on it, and then they microfilmed it and put it on the satellite. So that was kind of cool. So my name was circling Venus until awesome. it, yeah, <laughs> until it ran out of fuel and burned up in the atmosphere. But yeah, for a while it was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, those were the kinds of projects we did. You know, I would be on a project. We would uh, go through the design phase, the presentation phase, generally to the Air Force, uh, the build phase, the test phase, and then the ship phase. And, and so. I was uh, working with the engineering manager um, as his assistant, and so I got to see, uh, you know, the entirety of the project in terms of schedule, in terms of budget, uh, in terms of problem solving, and really getting an understanding that, um, you know, what happens early on in the process has a very real effect on those events that happen later on down the line. You know, those of you that are familiar with a Gantt chart, you, you know, you, you know that, that daisy chain. You know, you can only compress so much on the front end before you start pushing dates at the end. And so that really gave me a sensitivity uh, to, to discipline and understanding that, you know, comics are pretty much the same way. We have our own process. We have writing. We have the pencil art, the ink art, the lettering, the coloring, uh, and then the, the final production things. And it goes off to printing before it ends up in the store. And so, you know, having an understanding of these schedules that you know, span years and budgets of the millions of dollars really helped me understand that, you know, on a smaller scale, my job as a penciler, I need to do that very well within my time frame because my anchor, colorist and letterer and the production people, they're all counting on me to do my job well the first time on time. And so that was probably the most direct uh, application of my engineering time. But I would say, uh, you know, with the uh, with the science fiction project I'm working on, uh, just my general love of science and following that content as well, I, I've been able to help uh, with the writing um, as as not as a co-writer, but as an active participant in helping, you know, come up with uh, story uh, scenes, sequences, character bits, action bits. And, and certainly helping with some of the technical aspects of spacecraft and oops that's my that's my partner he wants to get out um and uh you know with appropriate you know understandings of magnetic fields and you know those kinds of uh electrical uh effects and phenomenon uh, I, I think it has a secondary effect in that regard so yeah it, it it actually does have a bearing on my work today and i'm really grateful for it you know, I, I, as was mentioned earlier, I am a man of faith, and I do think that, that God works, you know, in, in your life, um, whether you see it or not. And, and I, I've seen that, that he's worked in my life to, to prepare me in ways that I couldn't even expect uh, at the time, uh, that it bears fruit much later on. And uh, just it just gives me more reason to, to, to thank him 
for who he is and what he's done for me. Great answer. Well, we're going to wrap up for you because I, I hear your little friend and your partner in crime trying to... <laughs> Um, so what we'll do is we'll wrap up and, uh, Scott, if you don't mind, we'll go ahead and leave with you. Where can, where can people find you? Where, where can they find your projects, your work? Um, where, where can they find more about you? Okay. Well, yeah, let me just share that, um, I'll have a, a couple of things coming up. Um, I'm working on, uh, Star Riders with Phenom Comics. It's a new publisher. Uh, they're about to launch a line of comics. Uh, over a, a wide uh, variety of genre, and uh, so my project is is the science fiction based one, and I think you'll really enjoy it. It'll be really cool. Uh, so I'm working on issue eight, and uh, we'll we'll be publishing that I think digitally, and then we'll come out with a a uh, paper printed uh, trade collection of that. I'm also working with a, a war veteran named Travis Miller on an independent comic called The Last Patrol. And so keep an eye out for that. He just ran an, an Indiegogo campaign uh, to uh, to finish up that project and to get it out into people's hands. And it's uh, it's based on true events uh, of his experiences in Iraq. And it's uh, it's pretty powerful. So it, it's just a one shot. So um, it's uh, it's it's an easy story to to get into and and really get your head around and think about. Uh, so I uh, just put that out there. And uh, f- as far as uh, me on social media. Um, I have a website. It's scottmcdaniel.net. And when you go there, you'll find links to my other social media. Uh, I am pretty much a caveman. Uh, I, I don't pop my head out too often. I, I love to just create and and work. Uh, but I do have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm not terribly active on those platforms. Um, but uh, you, you can find me there. Uh, yeah, so that, that's where you can find me. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. All right, and then we'll wrap up with my my absolutely talented gaggle of crew. We'll start out with uh, Steve J. Ray. Where can the good people find you? Thanks, Kendra. And again, I just wanted to say thank you, Scott, for taking the time to talk to us, particularly as DC fans and Batman fans. Um, of your 26 years in the industry, 4,255 pages drawn. Ten years of that was on Batman and Nightwing. So for that, we thank you. Brilliant stuff. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, as for me, you can find most of my ramblings on DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. And you can find all of that just by doing a search engine type in of Steve J. Ray. And if you want to have a chat with me, please do on Twitter at E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. And of course, on this fine show, the Harley Quinn podcast every week and on multiple shows across the DC Comics News podcast network. All right. Thank you, Steve. And then following right down the line, Kelly, where can people find you? Um, You can find me on Twitter at KelGainsWrite and also doing opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News. And also on this wonderful show, as well as um, the Mad Love Harley Quinn cast. All right. And Seth, where can the bad people find you? (laughs) (laughs) All you bad people. 
Well, if you're going to have that conversation with me, let's keep it confined to the Twitter space. Uh, one more singleton. You can find me at DC Comics News writing reviews. You can find me here on the uh, podcast network, whether it's on the weekly podcast, uh, hosting the Spinner Rack, or with uh, you know these foul mouth folks who, for some reason, all gather together for this mad love thing. Other than that, um, I'm just Seth Singleton. Type me into a search engine. Come say hello and tell me something. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Seth. And then, uh, Mr. Brad Filicky, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews at DC Comics News. You can also find me on the Mad Love podcast and on the regular DC Comics News podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And thank you again, Scott, for all your amazing answers and your time. It's well, very it generous well. of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I was happy to. It was, it was a lot of fun. All right, I guess that leaves it to uh, the Hales. I'll go ahead and let Edward shout out his Twitter, and then I will go ahead and close this up. Uh, y'all can follow me at BatEd700 on Twitter, uh, DSithRules on Instagram, and Edward Hale on Facebook. All right. And uh, you can find me, Kendra Hale, um, on Twitter at DevourAllWords. Um, I can be found on Instagram and Facebook by just searching Kendra Hale. And I also write for Dark Knight News, um, doing the Harley Quinn reviews and honestly any comic at this point that comes my way that I, I feel like calls to me. Um, Scott, I, I thank you very much again from the bottom of my heart for coming on here. I really do appreciate it. And if you, the listeners, have enjoyed all of our, our fun times here today, um, we can be found on Spotify, on Apple, Google Play, um, Stitcher. And you can listen to us for all the different podcasts with uh, The Spinner Rack, uh, I Am The Ninth, and of course our mad love, The Harley Quinn cast. Uh, more for a mature audience on The Harley Quinn, so V18, please. Um, also, you can find us on for, uh, for DC Comics News or Dark Knight News um, on almost all social media, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, and I, Scott, I let you know that we do have a very special closing, um, and we asked if you would pretty please do it for us. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that is everyone, please read more comics. I love this man. <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. That was awesome. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. I, I had a lot of fun. And uh, Kendra, this one's for you, girl. Love you. I love you so much. Thank, Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott.